1: This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Themingly out of the blue, North Korea has released an American service member that's been in their custody since July. So what happened to lead up to it?
0: I wasn't surprised. I think it's fairly typical uh, in terms of what happens in these cases.
1: Frank Um is a senior expert on Northeast Asia at the U.S. Institute of Peace.
0: I think you know, oftentimes North Korea is portrayed as always seeking concessions or requiring a senior level U.S. official to come over to negotiate the release of uh, these detainees.
1: So what is going on with North Korea? Joe Detrani. Former U.S. Special Envoy to the Six-Party Talks with North Korea.
2: So, uh, until now, uh, the relationship between North Korea and Russia has been a partnership. But I think right now, with this summit, it's an allied relationship, similar to the relationship China has with uh, with North Korea. So this is very significant. The summit between uh, Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong Un.
1: Coming up. On this episode, from WTOP in Washington, DC, this is Target USA, America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the national security podcast. I'm JJ Green. Once again, we've been delayed in getting to our Poland coverage, but I think the story that's preempted us this time is perhaps the biggest story in US national security today. And it's the story of Private Travis King being released by North Korea. And so we wanna examine what took place and what it means. And to do that, we start off with Frank Um, a senior expert on Northeast Asia with the US Institute of Peace. I know you know quite a bit about um, U.S.-North Korea relations. I'm curious today to ask you what your thoughts are about the U.S. uh, notifying us that um, Private Travis King has been released by North Korea. He uh, went there in, in, I believe it was um, July, Uh, and um, he's been there for a couple of months. But North Korea said today that they've, quote, expelled him. What are your thoughts about how that transpired?
0: Uh, I wasn't surprised. I think it's fairly typical uh, in terms of what happens in these cases. Uh, I think you know, oftentimes North Korea is portrayed as always seeking concessions or requiring a senior level U.S. official to come over to negotiate the release of uh, these detainees. But typically what happens is that if the detainee hasn't committed a major crime, North Korea will release Uh, that detainee uh, within a few months. So I think what happened is not a surprise and it's basically par for the course.
1: All right. So how did this transpire? Um, The Pentagon mentioned some involvement by Sweden. So what's your thought on how this transpired?
0: Uh, You know, I don't know the details of that. Um, I I think uh, Sweden uh, oftentimes acts as the U.S. representative since we don't have a Uh, diplomatic mission or liaison office in the country. Uh, So uh, I believe uh, Sun was involved in getting in touch with the detaining and representing the U.S. interests. Um, But otherwise, I think, you know, North Korea... Uh, conducted an investigation uh, into why this person uh, crossed the border. Um, Private King uh, apparently told North Korea about his reasons for for leaving. He, he how he felt that there was unfair treatment in the U.S. military and other you know conditions of inequality. That's North Korea's statement. Um, uh, but ultimately, I think North Korea decided that there's no reason to detain him any longer, and that is why they uh, released him.
1: What does this say to you about U.S.-North Korea relations?
0: Um, well, first of all, it, you know, some people try to speculate that this might be a conciliatory gesture from North Korea, but I don't see that at all. I think, again, um, North Korea was you know, basically conducting its business, conducting its investigation, realized that there's no reason to hold on to this person. Um, uh, certainly doesn't want to exacerbate or aggravate the United States in any way, but this could have been an opportunity uh, to to use the situation to seek a meeting with the U.S. Uh, because in the past, senior level U.S. officials or North Korea has sought senior level U.S. officials to come over to negotiate the release of U.S. detainees. That happened with Bill Clinton coming over uh, to North Korea to seek the, uh, to negotiate the release of Laura Ling and Una Lee, two journalists um a former a, a director of national intelligence jim clapper went to north korea in 2014 to secure the release of Kenneth Bay uh and Matthew Miller so uh that's sometimes that's what north korea wants in case in this case they didn't right Um, And I think it's because they don't really want to talk to the U.S. at this point because they feel like uh, they're not uh, getting what they want from the U.S. So uh, my sense is that, you know, they're not trying to uh, aggravate the U.S., but they're also not trying to provide any sort of conciliatory gesture either.
1: So um, looking at the role of a protecting power, which is what Sweden is, give us a sense of how a protecting power works in this situation.
0: Uh, uh, I'm not clear. I'm I'm not clear about this. I'm not a diplomat, so I don't know what has happened. But again, I think, you know, the US goes through Sweden, uh, as, as their intermediary to make sure that, um, they have an opportunity, if, if possible, to meet with Private King. I'm not sure if that was the case, but at least try to uh, first meet with him, and if not, uh, make sure that he's in a good condition. Uh, they will relay uh, U.S.'s uh, the US message and any interests, uh and then uh, in response uh, relay, relay any message back from North Korea to the US. But otherwise, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I'm not privy to that information. Uh, I'm not sure if that information is out there, uh, but again, I think we know what the final outcome is, which is that Private King has been uh, released and he's in U.S. custody now.
1: So looking at the longstanding U.S.-North Korea relationship when it comes to their nuclear weapons, um, the U.S. has sanctioned North Korea. We know that North Korea wants those sanctions lifted. They also want normalized relations with the U.S., Give us a sense of what normal relations means to North Korea.
0: Yeah, normalized relations uh, would be reflected across many domains. So uh, fundamentally, it would include um, uh, uh, official recognition by the United States, um, a a peace treaty, uh, diplomatic missions uh, in both countries' capitals, so that's on the diplomatic side. It also would include uh, an end to sanctions. It would include um, normal uh, travel on both sides. So U.S. citizens be able to go to North Korea, North Korean citizens be able to go to uh, the United States without any restrictions. No trade restrictions. Currently, there are a lot of trade restrictions on you know North Korean exports, imports. Um, so it would basically be the type of relationship that that the United States has with most countries. But right now, uh, there's no diplomatic relations, there's no economic trade relations, uh, there's very hostile military relations uh, on the North Korean side in terms of the military demonstrations. But also on the uh, US side, North Korea perceives that the US-South Korea joint military exercises and the presence of things like carrier strike groups, uh, nuclear submarines, Uh, U.S. bombers are all provocative for North Korea. So all of that is not normal uh, in terms of bilateral relations between two countries.
1: You know, North Korea, they seem to have a different understanding of, of what's happening when the U.S., South Korea, and Japan get together and have a big meeting like they did at Camp David here in the U.S. not too long ago. Um, The U.S. says it's basically a strategic meeting to talk about working closer together. And granted, they do see North Korea as a common adversary, but there didn't seem to be or doesn't seem to be any evidence that they're planning to do something to destabilize the government. But what I've been told on numerous occasions in the past is that this is always perceived by North Korea as a challenge to the Kim dynasty, or the possibility that the U.S. and its allies would like to seek regime change. Why do they view these kinds of alliances and these kinds of activities that way?
0: Well, I think, uh, remember, uh, North Korea in general is a very um, paranoid state that has a siege mentality, right? They feel like The rest of the world, but particularly the the U.S. and the international community um, is uh, ganging up on North Korea. Right. Um, And so any uh, mechanisms or alliances or groupings that look like they are um, for the purpose of undermining the regime or threatening North Korea's security, uh, North Korea is going to complain about North Korea has complained uh, in general about these trilateral meetings uh, as efforts by the U.S. to create a a NATO-like system in uh, East Asia. And uh, I I think uh, it's, again, because North Korea is very concerned about security and any efforts to uh, basically gang up on uh, the regime.
1: And one last thing, um, North Korea's recent relationship with Russia to seem to work together to help Russia in the war in Ukraine, and I think, not positive about this, but perhaps getting some help with its nuclear weapons program. What does this relationship tell you about North Korea? And I guess, broader, more broadly speaking, the rest of the world?
0: Well, it's, first of all, it's not surprising that two countries, two basically rogue countries, pariah states, are turning to each other uh, for support. Uh, they have a history of, uh, if not an alliance, at least a, a history of working together and having uh, good relations. Um, they both are in in desperate need of, of things on uh, North Korea's end. They need humanitarian assistance, nutritional assistance, fuel, oil, hard currency. Uh, but also they need uh, certain types of technology, things that will help advance their nuclear uh, weapons program. So, for example, uh, satellite technology, because if you don't have the satellite technology, you don't have the, the capabilities to uh, precisely direct the weapons to where they want it to go. Right. And then on Russia's side, they need ammunition. And North Korea has the type of ammunition that is uh Uh, compatible with uh, Russia's military. So it works out uh, on both sides.
1: Well, Mr. Um, thank you so much for taking time to talk about this. Any thoughts you want to add that I haven't asked you about?
0: I think in general, again, going back to the Putin Kim meeting, uh, it could signal uh, that North Korea is thinking twice about the benefits of engaging with the U S because in the past, North Korea has always been clamoring for talks with the U.S. And it was the U.S. that had the power to say yes or no, right? Either we're interested or we're not. And typically, the U.S. has ignored North Korea because there's been no benefit to engaging. The tables have turned now. North Korea is seeing more and more that they can't trust the U.S. in terms of engaging. And so there's no benefit to diplomacy, especially when they can get what they need in terms of fuel oil, nutritional assistance, hard currency, uh, military technology from other countries like China and Russia. So we may be seeing uh, an extended period where it's just cold relations between the United States and North Korea. Um, and we're going to have to think about a different strategy for, in terms of how to engage with North Korea.
1: Well, Mr. Um, thank you again. Appreciate your time.
0: Anytime. Take care.
1: So for a deeper perspective on what's happening inside North Korea, I spoke recently with Ambassador Joe Detrani. He's a former U.S. special envoy to the six-party talks with North Korea, and he also was the former U.S. uh, director of the National Counterproliferation Center. So we talked about this relationship that North Korea has formalized with Russia recently. Ambassador, the meeting recently between Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un, what did it accomplish?
2: Well, I think a lot was accomplished. I think uh, certainly for Kim Jong-un, he's formalized uh, an allied relationship with the Russian Federation something he's not had since the uh, Soviet Union in 19 I think approximately 1961 uh had a peace and friendship treaty with the uh, with the DPRK North Korea uh but with, with the implosion of the Soviet Union in 1991 uh, that, that uh, that's been something of the past so uh until now uh the relationship between North Korea and Russia has been a partnership. But I think right now with this summit, it's an allied relationship, similar to the relationship China has with uh, with North Korea. So this is very significant, the summit between uh, Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un. Well, that's
1: a very interesting point that you make, um, <clears throat> a partnership as opposed to an allied relationship. Um, it's a significant step. So uh, how does this uh, impact the rest of the world, especially the
2: West? Well, you know, with China, and it was just reconstituted between Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un, going back to 1961, the People's Republic of China has a, a peace and friendship treaty with North Korea. It's a formal allied relationship that has to be reconstituted every 20 years, Xi Jinping just did this two years ago with North Korea. So that's an allied relationship, meaning both countries, each country will come to the aid of the other in times of uh, of war or conflict. This is now, in my view, this is now the relationship North Korea has with Russia, that it's a it's an allied relationship. And that means in time of conflict, each is committed to come to the defense of the other country. Uh, that, I think, with especially with the war going on in Ukraine, I think it's very significant.
1: Now, speaking of the war in Ukraine, it's clear to most of us that Russia needed this meeting, uh, <clears throat> needed this, um, I guess, uh, formality that took place to get some very important weapons. Uh, and North Korea, I think, based on our earlier conversation, is looking for money and economic assistance and help with its nuclear weapons. So talk with us for a few minutes if you will about the war and the significance of this meeting in terms of what Russia gets out of it for the war.
2: Well, if it's if it's now an allied relationship which I believe this is that was the purpose for the summit to really bring them together. Uh basically it's it's cover for Kim Jong-un to say it can be criticized. The U.S. has been very clear in saying North Korea has committed not to provide weapons to Russia in its war in Ukraine. Uh, now we're talking about a different type of relationship between North Korea and, and Russia. So in this case, I think what we'll see from North Korea will be the artillery shells, the rockets, and any any other type of weaponry. That uh, Russia is in need of, that North Korea will provide. And if they don't have it, they will work and in creating industries to provide Russia with that type of weaponry. So very significant. And conversely, for North Korea, they get a lot. I mean, you know, it's it was a Soviet Union in the 1970s and the 1980s that provided the missile capabilities to North Korea. And with the implosion in 91, it stopped. And then North Korea looked at China. Uh, but North, North Korea now is going to be looking to Russia to provide them with uh, greater missile capabilities, if you will, burving the intercontinental ballistic missiles, the Hwasong 18 that they have. We're talking about multiple independently targeted uh, re-entry vehicles. That means a number of warheads on a Hwasong 18 which we know can reach the whole of the United States, with multiple warheads, that are targetable at different targets. So very significant uh, what North Korea would be getting, but indeed certainly also economic aid, food assistance, energy assistance, and North Korea needs energy assistance. Mind you, JJ, this is all in violation of UN Security Council resolutions. So here's, here's Russia, a member of the UN Security Council, not only vetoing Uh, additional sanctions on North Korea because they continue to violate all previous resolutions. But now Russia is flagrantly just violating all, if you will, U.N. Security Council resolutions and will provide North Korea with with anything and everything. I think this is very, very significant.
1: This also sounds, Ambassador, like this is um, a, a widening of this conflict. Uh, in Ukraine Um, because you mentioned earlier we spoke um, that North Korea might actually be providing personnel uh, for Russia's um, military, military industrial complex and we know that Russia's been looking for people anywhere they can find them to help them in this war this to
2: you does this look like a widening of this war in Ukraine absolutely I think this is a significant widening of the war in Ukraine, I think uh, uh, it's uh, an effort to enhance uh, Russia's capabilities to persist uh, with this uh, invasion of Ukraine. Uh, I think, uh, you know, there's reporting out there that there are laborers in Russia, North Korean laborers in Russia, again, in violation of UN Security Council resolutions, providing, uh, if you will, assistance to Russia. Now, would they now? Would North Korea now be providing personnel, if you will, laborers and others, maybe even more sophisticated, uh, to provide assistance to Russia? Uh, I I wouldn't take this off the table. I think, I think we should consider everything is now operational for North Korea. Operational in the sense that there's a go there's a go sign out there. We can do things with Russia now that we were reluctant to do in the past. Uh, And certainly for Russia, I think it's the same for North Korea. Uh, JJ, you know the war in Ukraine better than uh, I or anyone. (laughs) You've been there, you you look at this, you report on it every day. Uh, North Korea uh, is going to be providing Russia with significant assistance. The question has to be, and I know many of the critics say, what could North Korea provide to Russia? Well, you know, I heard this before many years ago when people were saying North Korea missile capabilities. North Korea doesn't have many or any capability to really put an ICBM into uh, into space or short range or intermediate range. And look what North Korea has done with their missile programs, literally on their own, but on the back of what Russia provided them in the Soviet Union, if you will, in the 70s and 80s but then they pro- progressed on their own. So North Korea is capable of, of doing quite a bit to provide uh, military support to Russia.
1: So North Korea having what they're getting from Russia, having the capabilities that Russia's technology will essentially help them to achieve, uh, what will they do with that? What does it mean to North Korea? Why, why do they want it in the first place?
2: Well, it's, uh, it's certainly a message to South Korea, to Japan, and indeed to the United States, that if you uh, if you mess with us, if you're thinking about regime change, or if we if we should see anything that's uh, that's uh, uh, perceived to be an imminent threat to our leadership, or command and control, uh, we have capabilities now that could strike not only our neighbors in South Korea, Japan, but the United States, and if we have even more sophisticated. Intercontinental ballistic missiles, and we just saw with in in July, they launched the uh, if you will a solid fuel, uh, hwasong 18 intercontinental ballistic missile with the capability of touching the whole of the United States. So if you're talking about MIRVing, these ICBMs that they have and also love, uh, I think it's a very a very significant message to uh, their neighbors, their South Korea and Japan, but certainly to the United States that uh, uh, North Korea has significant capabilities. And mind you, this is also a message to South Korea, indeed to South Korea, telling the South Koreans that if you're relying on extended deterrence from the United States, where the United States is saying, we'll provide that nuclear umbrella, uh, you better think twice about that because, you know, would the United States be willing to be losing a few cities to, to respond to the needs of South Korea. So it's also a very stark message, I think, to the Republic of Korea, South Korea.
1: That's Ambassador Joe Detrani, former U.S. Special Envoy to the Six-Party Talks with North Korea. And now, here's a look at what it's really like inside North Korea. This is a Target USA moment, episode 40 for Grace Joe's family. Nineteen ninety-eight was the last straw.
3: My grandmother, my bro- younger brothers, um, they all passed away because of starvation.
1: For six-year-old Grace and her younger brother, the food situation was extremely dire.
3: My younger brother and I was were almost like uh, ten days starved, straight. Uh, we only drank uh, cold water, and. Uh, there's no meal we can find. The public farms, um, we cannot find any small potatoes from the farm because other people, they already like found them. And um, the winter time, we can find like wood to burn and keep house warm. We don't have any food, we don't have any money and there's no way we can make money either.
1: They had to find a way out of North Korea.
3: We uh, walked a lot and uh, we crossed the river by swimming, and uh, we also climbed the mountain.
1: This has been a Target USA moment, episode 40. Download it, relive it. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, Poland and its impact on the war in Ukraine and the fact that things between Poland and Ukraine are not so great anymore. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen@wtop.com. at wtlp.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskey tango oscar papa Jay green at wtop.com also please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on twitter we're at tusa podcast that's at tango uniform sierra alpha podcast and if you want more national security news you can sign up for my newsletter it's called inside the skiff and you can sign up at wtop.com/email i'm jj green and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.